Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Pete Hammond. And this is the Deadline Podcast TV Talk, the Logan Roy episode. (laughs) Well, yes, we're going to be discussing Logan Roy and family. Uh, and uh, how much succession, folks, can <laughs> one Emmys take? This is the leader, the leading show. So we're going to talk about that. The ones that got snubbed because there was no room for them because of succession and a couple of other shows like that that, that took all the nominations. And you're going to, one of those shows is actually Squid Game. And you're going to hear part of my conversation on the actor's side that I actually did at the Cannes Film Festival where he had his directorial debut uh, going on there too. And that is Squid Game star and Emmy nominee and SAG Award winner, Lee jung Jae. But before that, Let's talk about the Roy clan. Now, <laughs> Logan Roy, played by the nominated Brian Cox, in fact, almost everybody from Succession is nominated, will always tell you that his superpower is he doesn't effing lose, that he always comes out ahead. And <laughs> Succession have 25 nominations this year, including Outstanding Drama Series. And as I joked, Almost everyone involved with the show, I wouldn't be surprised if the pilot on the private jet episode is also <laughs> nominated. They all seem to get it to the point where like the second place, which is actually Ted Lasso, which of course, big winner last year, and uh, the White Lotus, HBO's, let's call it satire series, limited series. They came in second with 20 nominations each. So succession is literally leaps and jumps ahead of them. How does one show do this? And how does this, is there a succession backlash, Mr. Hammond, in your opinion? I have a thing about the Academy here. And I'm going to, I'm going to break away from talking specifically about all the nominations they got to suggest how we can prevent that in the future. I think the Academy needs to get together with the Board of Governors there, of which I was on at one time. And I know they can argue with each other, but they need to put limits on the number of nominations in each category particularly in the actor's branch that you can have, because it's not fair. This is sucking everything out of the out of the game here. It has 14 acting nominations. That means agents out there, you get your client on succession, you're getting them an Emmy nomination and they know it. it, it, it it's a manipulation of the system because they know that's a show that the majority of Academy members apparently are watching and it's lazy voting because they've seen it, particularly in the guest star categories, in in the guest categories. I mean, there's no room left for anything, you know, uh, when you have uh, shows like Succession or on the flip side in comedy, shows like Ted Lasso and others, where I get, and particularly, you know, interestingly this year, Hacks, which has become a must watch in the television industry, uh, you know, for its few episodes, eight episodes, I think, that came on uh, late in the season. I got five 
guest star nominations. Um, I mean, that's astounding. And the reason is there's no limits here. What do you think? Do you think we should uh, go to an Academy meeting and uh, really pitch this, that they need to they need to change the rules, really? Well, I will have to obviously reactivate my Academy membership, but I know a person, <laughs> I, I think I know a person or two who can help me with that. Um, I got to tell you, I mean, I've always thought politicians who advocate term limits including for the president, by the way. I've always thought there's something kind of innately anti-democratic about that, that people should be allowed to vote for who they want to vote for. Having said that, there is a built-in authoritarianism that happens if you just start going to the same person. There are the numbers for succession as a TV show almost rival the wealth of the royal fam of the Roy family <laughs> on Jesse Armstrong's show. Yeah. They got nine Emmy wins so far. They're up for 25. They're going, I mean, do the math. You know they're winning. You know they're winning in the best supporting actor category. They've got like what, three or four? You know they're going to win. They're so primed to win in supporting actress. They've got two. These num the math is, is, is rigged in this yeah. sense. And again, I love succession. I don't think it's the holy gospel of, of, uh, political satire nor corporate infighting and yes i think a lot of it is based on the murdochs despite what jesse armstrong says but guys come on like there we are at a place that we're not even in peak tv land anymore we're at like himalayas mount everest tv land and with all these shows out there one or two shows just eat everything up now did we see this with game of thrones back in the day yes we did so right. perhaps maybe the discussion to have, and you would you would have some insights on this, I know, my friend, is is this the success of the HBO machine? That they can just own the academy like this. Well, the White Lotus, you didn't mention here too, but the White Lotus. Uh, the second it, one that tied with Ted Lasso for the Yeah, but eight of those nominations that it has is for its cast. Eight nominations, all in the supporting in the limited series category. So they're not even spreading those eight into the no. leads. They all decided to go as an ensemble. So on Emmy nomination day, I pose this question to the uh, a president uh, and a CEO and the chairman and CEO of the Academy uh, and uh, asked, well, with all of these uh, actors coming in from just one or two series, why not create an ensemble category? Let's make more Emmys out there and let them have their day in the sun and make this change I'm calling for to limit the numbers of single nominations. And you, the easily you can vote for whoever you want. So the authoritarianism argument doesn't go. You can vote for whatever actors you want. If that's the only show you've seen, you can continue to do that. But they limit it in terms of the numbers. And so it's the, it's the counting game once the votes are in and you only take the top three vote getters from any one show are the top two. You've, yeah. got, to, you've got to do something to curb this and encourage um, uh, voters to try to go out and watch other things. And if they don't, then encourage them by nominating some shows that may have been seen by less people and may have gotten less votes, um, but nevertheless are getting a nomination because of these new Academy rules that we've just created. And now as we talk about potential new Academy rules, let's talk about a new Academy reality. I write for Deadline for both the Emmys and the Oscars, the snubs column. Which is always the most popular column because people just want negative. 
And you know, <laughs> and, and and I am their delivery boy for that. And, and and often when you do when you do your analysis later in the mornings, you look at the snubs and what they what that yeah. kind of the they read the tea leaves of what they tell us, right? Exactly. Yeah. This year, this started before, but this year it really became a thing. I had publicists and others reaching out to me. I think you did too, saying, "Can you please include my client among your snubs?" <laughs> As if snubs had become a really good silver medal that somehow you could be like, well, look, I'm up there with Sean Penn and Julia Roberts and Reservation Dogs and Selena Gomez. Look, they got overlooked and Brian Cox and Jeremy Strong took and Bob Odenkirk took all the love out of the category. So point out my guy because he deserved right. to be there and I need you to show him that he deserved to be there because I want to show him that I can deliver that for him. If we can't get him a nomination, we can at least get the fact that everyone thinks he deserved a nomination. There is nothing worse for uh, for um, an actor like, say, Anne Hathaway uh, in in the uh, uh, show she did for Apple. We uh, crashed. Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We crashed. And uh, Jared Leto, too. There is nothing worse for them than, than not getting that Emmy nomination, but being snubbed by the snubs column. You know, then you're not even in the game. You're not even in the game. And uh, so I think that uh, people have latched onto this because snubs has become a key word uh, with uh, tied to awards. As much as the name of the award itself, it's always when they're announced is who got snubbed. You know, Absolutely. and it's almost unfair to say snub. Does the Academy as a whole, oh, I'm snubbing Anne Hathaway here. I'm snubbing Julia Roberts. It's the way the numbers came out there. Maybe they're snubbing them because they're Oscar winners. I don't know. I don't know the reason, but we're saying that they were snubbed by the Academy. Do you think that's fair since you write that column? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. I do think that's fair because I write that column. I, I, well, I, but I would, I would specify that a little more. We're talking about TV Academy voters. Right. And I try to make a very distinct point in my probably nowhere near as pithy and witty as I hoped them to be little remarks about people who are snubbed is that these are the voters, that the voters have an opportunity by depending on what shows are presented to them and offered up and are nominated, which is pretty widespread. Um, and they have, they have a choice. And like anybody ticking any ballot, be it for your city council member or for what you want to have on your meal on the plane or whatever it is, you, you get to just make those decisions and they overlook. And there are some that look, I think there are, I always put in every year, there are people who do outstanding performances. Michelle Hurd, for instance, from Star Trek Picard was amazing this year uh, in this past season two. Am I surprised that she was overlooked? Not really. It's not the kind of show that gets a lot of awards coverage, but she put in a really good performance and I really wish people had seen it and given her some of the due she deserved. But then there are also ones where I just have to say like, really? Again, I come back to, and this is going to be the, 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 the drum I'm going to pound on for most of this award <laughs> season, Reservation Dogs and Selena Gomez. Like I, okay. I, I, <laughs> I, even get, I, get, I get, <laughs> I get Sean Penn and Julia Roberts being snubbed. Obviously a show like Gaslit, which looked at the, the, the kind of hidden history of the Watergate scandal has huge stars in it, multiple Oscar winners and, and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of attention was put to it, but it's on stars where prestige drama tends to die, unfortunately, because that's not what people go to stars for. They go for other things. They're looking for other types of shows, shows that I love, by the way. But in that, you find yourself in this dilemma of 
what actually constitutes a snub? And this is the hardest thing that I grapple with in doing the snubs column for the Oscars and for the Emmys is looking at these huge names and thinking, yeah, but this is not your year. And it's, and is the celebrity power enough? Because when you're seeing the likes of a Julia Roberts and Sean Penn snubbed as they were this year, you realize that the change that's happened in television, that what the, the quality that is on the small screen or the streamer screen, depending on how you want to look at it, is so high that the likes of Sean Penn and Julia Roberts being snubbed was not in our headline. Yeah, that was yeah. not that that didn't make that cut. We snubbed them. It's interesting, but I do think agents probably want to go to HBO first the same way they want to go to certain studios first because they know uh, they're going to get more eyeballs at them. Stars is struggling to get into that ball game. So with Gaslit, I thought I've seen the whole thing. I thought she was a slam dunk because first of all, she's playing a real life person you can compare it to. And we know how much voters love that, Martha Mitchell. And it's Julia Roberts who is just exquisite in the role here. Um, and uh, it seems a shame, but I do agree with you. I think maybe uh, people didn't see it. Uh, they did do an FYC campaign. Uh, the, the billboards are still out there on Sunset Boulevard. It got four nominations, but all below the line. Um, and I think it deserved And all well-deserved, by the way. All well-deserved. Yeah, no, you know, there's all kinds of factors that go into this this world of of snubs and who's in and who's out. And, and it's sometimes a shame. But, uh, you know, not everybody can be nominated and Academy members. You know, I do remember I'll say this before we move on. But, I, you know, not everybody can be nominated. But the Academy got into a bit of a scandal a few years ago when they nominated Ellen Burstyn for a role that was literally 14 seconds on screen. It was a, a favor she did for somebody. She showed up in a flashback in, in this series, uh, in a limited series, and got an Emmy nomination for it. And That's I crazy. looked at that That's list crazy. that year, and they all, a lot of the nominees there, Carol Burnett and others, all started with a B. Voters were so lazy, they didn't even go down the ballot. They just checked That's off the names crazy. they knew. And Ellen Burstyn was terribly embarrassed by this nomination, not on her, on the Academy voters who need to be more diligent. But again, I understand when you have this much content, these many things coming at you, it's sometimes a lot easier to say, well, I watched three shows, I'll vote for those. The Academy encourages everybody to vote for as much as they can. I think they need to encourage a little bit more. Well, because they all seem to vote for succession. And, and yeah, this exactly. is what I think comes back to is you're going to be snubbed. And I know different categories, but I'm not getting into that part of it. But you're going to be snubbed. You're going to be washed aside. Your boat is going to be sunk if a giant aircraft carrier known as succession comes into the channel. The biggest question that's coming out of this in some ways, and we've avoided talking about it, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it more, because I think there's another Succession TV Talk podcast to have, because, hey, we're not dumb. We're going to mine this one for all it's worth. Oh. <laughs> is, is the showdown round two between Brian Cox and Jeremy Strong in the best actor category? Because Jeremy has won. Brian has not. Well, that's Brian is an Emmy winner, but not for that show. Yeah. Um, and uh, and Jeremy won the first round there. We'll see. And maybe there's somebody else lurking uh, in the background here. Uh, Bob Odenkirk. 
Bob Odenkirk, who's won Emmys for writing, but never uh, as this great character that he created along with, uh, you know, the uh, creators of Better Call Saul and before that Breaking Bad, uh, a very well-deserved and a man who had a heart attack doing his job this year. <laughs> I mean, literally. If ever there was a year to add that in the way Elizabeth Taylor won yeah. her first Oscar. That, that nearly... should have been the FYC. That it should have been Better Call Saul, a heartbreaker. <laughs> Maybe uh, that, that's maybe that's to go back to a past TV talk. That's the way you got to do these FYCs, man. You got to go for the diseases. Having said that, we've got Brian Cox, we've got Bob Odenkirk, we've got Jeremy Strong in the Best Actor category. We've also got Adam Scott for Severance, and we have another nominee who Mr. Hammond actually has a conversation with. I did, yes, and you know, isn't it great, Lee Jung Jae? is one of the rare nominees working in a foreign language here. That's history making. If he wins, he won SAG, you know. Uh, there, uh, there is a lot of heat behind the Squid Game. He's a terrific guy, also a talented director. I got to talk to him at the Cannes Film Festival where he was debuting his feature, which he stars and directs and all of that as well called Hunt. Uh, but uh, we also talked about obviously Squid Game, and here is part of that conversation. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. At this point in your career, 30 years in the business as an actor and everything, why did you decide now to go behind the camera, especially with you so much in front of it, also in this film. 처음에 어, 판권을 어, 구매하고. Um, yeah, so after I bought the copyright for the original script, um, I knew that I had to fix considerable amounts of it. And at the beginning, I just wanted to produce this, not direct it. And I was looking for a director and a scriptwriter who would do this for me to make this into a very fun and entertaining movie. Um, but I couldn't find one, so I took it into my own hands and I started writing, rewriting uh, considerable parts of the script, the scenario. And then um, once I started writing, I knew that um, because I know so much of it, I should be the one directing this. So that's how um, uh, this became my directorial debut. I love that. You know, now you do it all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a master of every craft here, which is, has this inspired you to uh, do more films, writing them and directing them, or was this a one shot for you? 어, 처음 시나리오를 쓸 때는 굉장히 고통스러울 정도로 어, um, So when I started uh, writing the scenario, it was really challenging. It was almost painful for me. Um, but after finishing it, I feel like now I gathered my courage. So maybe I can go on to the next one. 
It's so interesting, this movie, too, the, all the intrigue, you know, the whole uh, KCIA of it all and what was going on between North Korea and South Korea. But I didn't feel watching it that it's about North Korea or South Korea. I thought it was very character driven and really uh, it, these two characters sort of now investigating each other, I thought was so unique and interesting. Thank you very much. 어, 남북관계에 대한 이야기를 하기보다는 well, thank you very much because that's exactly what I was going for. Um, instead of focusing on the inter-Korean relations, I wanted to I wanted viewers to question uh, where their convictions are coming from and if they are rooted in the right thing. So um, I wanted to focus on the convictions of the two characters and if they are right or wrong. So I think you just saw the movie right through. That's great. It's almost Hitchcock-like, where you, you're taking the main characters here and, uh, you know, getting them accused of things that we know they're not and uh, watching them deal with it. It was really fascinating the way you dealt with it. Very complex, I think, this. Thank you very much. Spymool's uh, yeah, so I think for espionage films, if you hide too much, um, then it could be a little bit stressful on the audience. So just as you said, I wanted to go the Hitchcock style and let the audience know first while still keeping them secret to the characters. Uh, 말씀하신 것처럼 Hitchcock 감독님 스타일대로 먼저 관객분들은 아시고 스크린 안에 있는 각자의 캐릭터들은 모르는 걸로 이제 선택을 하게 됐습니다. You know, you are a global star now. Everyone knows you. Can you believe that with the Squid Game that, you know, this time a year ago, you're a big, huge star in in Korea, but worldwide, you walk down the street here, I'm sure you get stopped every five seconds and everything. What is that like suddenly to become an overnight global superstar after 30 years in the business? <laughs> 아, 그만큼 전 세계가 아, 하나의 어, 어떤 그런 um, yeah, I think that shows that the globe is now just one big network without any silos. Um, I could really feel that, and I'm just really happy that um, Squid Game helped um, bring this one story and let the whole global audience resonate with it. So I think it's just amazing that that happened. 그 오징어 게임으로 굉장히 놀라운 일이고요, 너무나도 기쁜 일이고, 너무나도 즐거운 일인 것 같아요. You know, I, I've said it before, and I'll, I'll say it again, as massively popular as Squid Game is slash was, and will clearly be back for a second season, I was surprised at its nominations because I, I thought Academy voters would be a little, pardon the pun, squeamish about the Squid Game, and yet, not so much. And I hope that you are not squeamish listening to us. I know we go on a bit, but there is a method to our madness. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. I tell you always, I tell you now. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode of TV Talk. And, of course, you can find all of our TV-breaking news coverage at Deadline.com. In fact, you can find all of our business of entertainment coverage at Deadline.com, award season, not award season, legal, not saying Ricky Martin, Johnny Depp, and many, many more, and Mr. Hammond's amazing film reviews. So, thank you for joining us. We'll talk soon.